What is up, everybody? My name is William Vance, and I'm the managing editor at Magnetic Magazine, and also the host of the podcast that you're listening to right now, Magnetic Meanings. We get so caught up in the clout and the excitement and everything else that kind of is around the music industry that we often forget that the bedrock of the industry itself is just simple communication. So the whole reason I wanted to start this project is to really take a razor-tooth comb to this exact notion and unpack the words and the ideas that shape the industry and that resonate with those who work in it. Each episode will have different personalities from across the music industry, all doing awesome stuff in their own right. And each of these guests will bring to the table a certain word that has impacted their career in some certain way. From there, we will tackle this word from every conceivable angle in hopes to bring a bit more context to what the music industry actually is. To kick off the first episode of Magnetic Meetings Podcast, I brought on Adam Stark. Adam is a well-respected and even more highly esteemed promoter in the Denver scene. He spearheaded the Denver trans family community and used that community to kickstart off his entire career. This career is only getting started, but has already seen Adam release on some of his favorite labels and has caught the attention of none other than Anjuna Beats megastar, Elon Bluestone. To an outsider looking in, it might seem that Adam's career is just getting started, but he's actually been slowly chipping away at this thing for the better part of a decade. And so the word that he's gonna be bringing to the table this week is time. We're going to discuss everything from how an artist's relationship to time changes over the course of a career, where you can best invest your time at an early stages of your career compared to the later stages of your career, uh, how to maximize your time in the studio, and a whole bunch of other super high-value concepts that not many people are talking about. But before we get into the main part of the interview, I wanted to give a shout-out to the sponsor of this episode, Point Blank Music School. Point Blank has been a media partner with Magnetic pretty much from day one, and for good reason. These guys know what they're doing. If you're looking to learn top-level DJing, high-level elite caliber music production, pretty much anything in that sphere of the industry, Point Blank has got it. And they just opened up a brand new campus in LA. This new campus has over four music studios and a whole bunch of other music production and audio engineering amenities to really help elevate your music production game. This campus comes decked out to teach you what the pros are using every single day in their own studios. So if you're looking for more information on that, you can find a link to everything Point Blank has to offer in the show notes, along with a lengthy write-up of all of my musings and reflections that I had after this hour-long chat with none other than Adam Stark. So let's dive in. All right, Adam Stark, welcome to the first episode of Magnetic Meanings Podcast, the podcast where we take words and music industry and we chat about the intersection of, of both. So on that note, what is the word that you are bringing to the table for episode one of Magnetic Meanings? I would say that the, the word that I would bring to the table is timely. Out of all the words in the English language, why, why is the word time resonating so much with you and your music career and your touring, touring schedule and everything like that? Well, so there's sort of two sides to that coin, right? The first is that everything takes time. I mean, everyone's heard the phrase, you know, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. It's about habits over time. It's about doing things consistently, continuing to do things. It's like anything else in life that you want to achieve. If you want to have a nice physique, a nice body, it's going to the gym all the time. It's eating right and being consistent in your habits. If you want to be successful in the tech world, it's continually building your skill sets over time and investing in yourself and spending time learning the right tricks of the trade. And in the music industry, it's not any different. It's 
spending the time going to the places that you need to be to network, spending the time learning the things that you need to learn, whether it's your tooling, your DAW, mixing, mastering, sound design, music theory. So that, that's, that's the first half of the coin is that everything takes time. And then the second half of that coin is that time is also your most valuable asset. So as I started to get out of like the early years of my career, when I was in my 20s and I was like, oh, I'll stay up till 4 a.m. and I'll go on a network in all these clubs and then I'll go home and I'll get up at 9 a.m. to go to my day job. And I was kind of in this habit of saying yes to everything. Any opportunity that came my way that could present any possible benefit to me, I just said yes to and I figured out how to fit it in my schedule. And at a certain time, you start to realize there are places where you should spend your time and there are places where you should not spend your time. Time being your most valuable asset, as you get further into your career, you start to realize where the return on investment of your time is the most valuable. A lot of times in, your, in the early parts of your career, that's networking and getting to know people and sort of learning the lay of the land. And as you get later into your career, it's spending time in the studio, mastering your craft, producing the music, things like that. So how you spend your time becomes much more of something you have to worry about the further into your career you get. Why do you think so many younger producers, it's not, it doesn't even cross their mind, right? Because like I did the exact same thing when I was, you know, in my early 20s when I was first starting making music. And I would do the same thing that you just said, being out until four in the morning at the quote unquote after parties, networking and stuff. And then you wake up hungover, you didn't get any networking done because it's classic after parties kind of vibe, right? So why yeah. do you think so many younger producers kind of fall into that pit, those pit traps? And what kind of words of advice do you have when it comes to managing your time, especially early on in your career? So there's the, everybody's heard this, like the, the quote unquote 10,000 hour rule, right? Uh, so there's this idea by Malcolm Gladwell that it, once you're not a master of anything until you've spent 10,000 hours doing it. Since that book was published, Outliers, there's been a lot of research done into what people that are successful in their crafts actually do. And one of the things that they find is if you look at like people who play instruments, up until a certain point, the people who are masters in their instrument and the people who are just sort of participating in, in playing an instrument, they don't generally spend more, like the master doesn't spend more time on a specific instrument in the beginning. There's a certain eclipsing point where now it's like you're spending all your time playing that instrument, and that's where a master generally overtakes anybody else. But in the beginning, what is found is that the person who becomes a master in an instrument is the person who plays a lot of different instruments. And that notion of having a lot of different experiences that can all contribute to one thing is where I think a lot of people in their early careers really sort of misstep. They think I've got to spend eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, writing my genre, in my doll, doing the thing, writing the same types of music as everybody else. And what a lot of the data actually shows is that the people who are most successful are the people who have a wealth of different experiences to draw from and then focus into a speciality later in their career. So you see this a lot with like young kids who are like, I have to go out and I have to meet all the people in the techno scene, or I have to spend all the time figuring out how to make the perfect bass growl and have the perfect mix down. And the reality is that what you should be doing is spending your time 
learning as many things that are ancillary to your craft as possible in the beginning so that when you actually settle on something, it is something that you chose and that you know you like and that you know you're good at because there are things about drum and bass music production that could be valuable to dubstep or house music or techno. There are things about writing melodies for trance music or melodic dubstep that can be really valuable in other genres of music. So that time spent experiment and spending your time learning about everything around what you want to do and then settling into something that you actually love is where I think a lot, where a lot of people earlier in their career sort of take that misstep is they think they have to hyper-focus on one thing and then they burn out and they end up hating what they did and they go get a job at Staples. Uh, yeah, I talk about that when I do a lot of like feedback and stuff with other producers in the community and stuff. And that's the one thing that I tell them all the time, especially like the newer ones. And I always tell them, you know, like always be working on having like an inspiration bin playlist on Spotify or something where you can go in and just instantly pull out different ideas to use in your own music. And I always encourage them to have a wide range of different genres, right? Like anything from pop music that you listen to as a kid and then your favorite techno artists and then also your favorite melodic dubstep and your rap and hip hop and everything, because you always are the culmination of all of your influences, right? Yep. And 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 so it's actually by doing that work that you just said, right? Casting that super, super wide net, it's actually like the fastest way, I think, to, to arrive on like that signature sound um, of your own signature sound. Because if you don't, then it also puts a shit ton of pressure on that one thing that you're focusing on. Yep. And that's the recipe for burnout, as you just said. Well, and if you think about like some of the most successful artists, uh, whether electronic or not of our time, right? Like you think about, you think about someone like Dead Mouse, right? Who in the very beginning was sort of mixing house music with like progressive trance. And like some of the first like songs that Dead Mouse really became known for were on the Tiesto's In Search of Sunrise album, which you wouldn't necessarily associate his music now with. Or you think about someone like Seven Lions who came to be through winning a remix competition by Above and Beyond and sort of defining his melodic dubstep sound was taking elements of trance and bass music and merging them together. And when you really think about that, what that means is that he had to have enough exposure listening to trance and melodic genres and enough experience listening to bass heavy and halftime genres to be able to effectively meld the two and that's how he landed on his sort of signature sound of this heavy bass with heavy melodic overtones. And why would anybody sign, for instance, if you write the same music as Elon Bluestone, why would any label that signs Elon Bluestone sign you when they have him? If you have the ability to take the things that you like about that genre of music or Elon's style of music, and you're able to meld that with Chris Lake and Fisher or Abstract or any of these other artists, all of a sudden you have this unique blend that sort of gets both of those audiences going. And now you have a unique sound that you can sort of settle into. And, and that's that's really what I, I think a lot of the artistic side of writing music really is about, is that experimentation and removing those constraints and that pressure from yourself that you talked about, which is just making sure that you have time to create cool things and write music that you believe in. And having a foundation and the ability to do that is really important. 
so from your perspective, when you're in the thick of it, in the trenches in the music studio and stuff like that, when you're practicing what, what you've just been preaching over the past five minutes or so, is it intentional for you or is it just kind of the natural occurrence of just drawing as many inspirational kind of things as you can, right? When you're in the studio, are you consciously being like, I'm going to pull the chord progression from this Blink-182 song. I'm going to pull the melodies from this Seven Lions song and I'm going to make something that's uniquely Adam, you know, Adam Stark. So my approach is, is a lot less refined than that. Um, <laughs> So I, uh, I'm not classically trained in piano or, or any of that. So for me, I have, a, I have a giant poster up on my wall that is all of the different musical scales. And then I have uh, another poster that is all the different chords. And what I'll do is I'll say like, okay, I want to write something in the Lydian scale or, you know, the harmonic minor scale or whatever. And what I'll do is I'll go like listen to tracks in that scale and kind of figure out like, okay, what does this sound like? What do I like? What do I not like? And then I'll go to my chord chart and I'll say like, okay, in this scale, I'm going to pick four chords and I'm going to throw them into my DAW. I'm going to throw some, an arpeggiator plug in like Cthulhu or, you know, just a stock arpeggiator like an Ableton or Logic. And I'm just going to flip through random settings until I hear something that piques my interest. Because having been a DJ for over 15 years and having listened to a wide breadth of electronic music, I know what I like and I know what I think works on a dance floor and what I think is good. So I'll wait for some part of some pattern to fall out of this arpeggiator that, I'm, that I really like. And then I'll dump that arpeggiated sequence to MIDI. And then I'll go in and I'll adjust the individual notes until I have something that I feel represents like the core of a track. And then I'll produce out from there. Kind of going back to the whole notion of time, right? Like it sounds like not as intentional or whatever that you said um, that kind of kickstarted this conversation off. Um, it does seem focused, right? Like you kind of show up yeah. to the studio and you have a workflow that works for you. So with carrying on with the, with the whole theme of time, is, is that one of the ways that you kind of are able to maximize the time in the studio and kind of really get the most out of it? Because I feel like so many producers like just kind of show up and be like, hey, I'm just going to go with the vibe today. And then they fiddle with synths and they play with parameters for the better part of five hours. What are your thoughts on that? Or do you have any musings on that? So I believe that there are four types of music production sessions. There are foundational sessions, which is kind of what I've just talked about, right? Like you're coming up with an idea, you're coming up with a hook, something that's just very basic that is like sort of the motif or the identity of your track. You've got this creative session where your only goal is just come up with something that's cool and sounds good. You're not finishing a track. You're not doing much sound design. You're working on the musical idea. And then you have these sort of polishing sessions, which are, I have an idea, that I think could be good, that I think could go somewhere. Let's sort of build a little bit of a skeleton around it. Let's throw in some kick drums. Let's go find some presets. Let's fiddle with some knobs. Let's, let's plug my synth in and see, you know, if I can find something cool that goes with it. Then you have what are they called these like finishing sessions where you've got an idea that you know is good and that you want to complete and you're going in and you're doing the work now of like getting the right, like replacing your samples, you know, doing your EQing, uh, doing all of your, your post-processing, getting everything kind of cleaned up and ready to go into mixing and mastering. And then there's what I call like organizational sessions, which are you don't feel creative. You're not super jazzed on any of the ideas you have. You don't really have anything to finish. 
So go into your sound banks and move samples around and organize them and listen to a bunch of presets and figure out what you like and what you don't like and put stuff in various folders. When you find a kick drum you really like that you think fits with everything you need, go throw that in your private kick drum folder. Go tweak a preset and save it somewhere. Because there are, the truth of the matter is, there are just gonna be times when nothing creative falls out of your head and you just can't be fussed to actually spend the time doing anything, whether it's because you're exhausted from work or you, know, you don't have a creative idea to work on. There are things you can do that aren't related necessarily to production of music that will aid in the production of music. Having a sound bank of you know 15 different kicks that you really like, that you know work. Knowing where all of your hi-hat samples that you really like. So you're not spending half an hour looking for the perfect sample. And that's kind of like that curating your sound aspect, right? You're, you're building some presets. You're getting some samples that you know work really well in your productions that you agree with the EQing on. You're getting the bits and pieces in place so that you know, like, okay, this kick's not working. Instead of flipping through 5,000 kicks in a Sunnylac kick pack, now you've got your 40 kicks that you really know work. And you can just flip through those. And you've saved yourself all that time of trying to find the quote-unquote perfect sound, which in and of itself is all subjective. Doing all of that work up front saves you all of that time later. Yeah, uh, that's funny you, you touched upon that. At my, at my last job at a, at a music production school, one of the instructors had a really, really good line that he said, because one of the students asked like, how do you know when the when you find the perfect kick drum? Or how do you know when you find the perfect clap or whatever like that? And then the teacher, the instructor replied, there's no such thing as the perfect clap or like the perfect kick or like an amazing kick. There's just stuff that sounds good to you. And after a while, kind of like what you're just saying, you slowly build up this this pack of sounds, kicks, claps, hats, all, all the above. Uh, and then you get this core library that is your sound palette, right? It's, you know, yep. Hats, hats from some jazz sample pack that you really like and kicks from a, you know, production music live pack and Sunny Lax pack and et cetera, et cetera. And this compounding like act of curation over years, years uh, yep. really kind of is your defining kind of sound. Um, so you touched upon something else too, right? Like, you know, you different production sessions and sometimes you come back home late for work and, and you're exhausted and stuff like that. Um, and as like, as we all get older, right, and especially if you're holding down a nine to five and also pursuing music, um, life pulls pulls you in a lot of different directions, right? So returning back to this theme of time, how do you manage to, uh, you know, get professional results in your music, still manage to tour full time, if not semi full time, while also holding down this whole nine to five? So, I mean, I would argue that you have to be like, you have to be a bit insane to kind of sign up for for this because there are so many other ways that like you could quote unquote live a fulfilled life and do and like be happy. And you kind of have to be like a little bit insane to tell yourself, yeah, I want to work a full-time job and have a full-time hobby and travel and tour and do all this stuff. What I tell people a lot that are just starting out is like, if everybody could do this, everybody would, because it's a ton of fun. It's very creatively satisfying. And when you can make a living off of it, it is incredibly fulfilling. The problem is, is that you have to want it more than everybody else. And I think the really important thing, ask yourself at multiple stages in your life, because your answer at 22 is not gonna be the same as your answer at 35, is what do you actually want? Because I know plenty of people who are so content to spend 40 hours in the studio, writing a ton of cool music, 
and they just wouldn't, they could care less about stepping on a stage. And then I know people that struggle to sit in the studio and write music and they want nothing more than to be up on stage in front of, you know, a hundred, a thousand, tens of thousands of people. And so there's this moment where you sort of have to ask yourself, like, sans your ego, sans all the other things that are going on in your life, like, what do you actually want? And the first step is like, do you want your music career bad enough? Because it's okay to want a family more or to want a stable nine to five or a stable income more than your music career. That is perfectly fine. And I think a lot of musicians aren't willing to be that honest with themselves that like, are you actually happy doing what you're doing? If you do actually want your music career more than you want other things in your life, then it comes with showing up and keeping your schedule. There's a really famous story about, like, I think it was Eminem and maybe Dr. Dre were like, Dr. Dre was like coming to work in the studio with Eminem and he gets there at like 4.45 and at five o'clock and Eminem's like, cool, I'm done. It's five o'clock because Eminem was treating it like a nine to five. He was treating it like a job and you don't, you're not always going to like your job. You're going to be tired. You're not going to want to show up. You're not going to want to put in the hours. But if you want it bad enough, there are things that you will be willing to do in order to make it work. You will get up and you will go and you will do the networking. You will come in and you will sit in the studio after an eight hour day at the office or a 10 or 12 hour day at the office. And like you figure out how to make it work. I know lots of people that know that after work, they're gonna be dead. So they wake up at five o'clock in the morning and they do three hours of music production before they go into the office. And so it's about figuring out what you want how bad you want it, and how to adjust your schedule to make it work. And it's it's perfectly okay to understand that that doesn't work for a lot of people. Like, I am a huge proponent of, like, be responsible, pay your bills, get, like, the things that you are responsible for done. And then whatever time you have left is what you get to choose what you want to do with. And for some people, you know, they have the luxury of working eight hours a day, coming home to a stable home environment where they can sit down and work on music. And some people are working two, three, four jobs and are trying to figure out how to also pursue their music career. And in that sense, what I would suggest to people in that, in that space is work on becoming happy with the rest of your life and getting a solid schedule and a thing that you, that you can work towards in that realm of your life. Because if there's a part of your life that's in pure chaos, all the music work you do is going to reflect that. Yeah. And the thing about music is that it takes a lot of time. <laughs> so it does. It takes so, a lot of time. So if you're not happy with your nine to five, if you're like, you know, working at McDonald's, no offense to anyone out there working at McDonald's or anything like that. But if you just like fucking hate your nine to five, but you're doing it as some like romanticized, like just putting in the grind and make music happen, know that you're probably going to be doing that job for a decade before music starts happening, you're going to start resenting music over that decade because of the sacrifices you're having to make. And then you're going to end up just saying, fuck it, do all of it. I spent my early 20s developing a, a technical skill set as a software engineer so that I would have, like, I'm, I'm fully self-taught. I dropped out of college and, 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 and taught myself how to do everything. And I was able to get jobs that allowed me to sort of train as I go. But I always had this idea in my head of like, I need to make sure that the rest of my life is in order and that I can fund this thing that I want to do. Because while, like you were saying, the starving artist is kind of romanticized, there is nothing worse than like having to go to bed hungry after not getting anywhere in the studio. Talking about like time management and sacrifices and everything, right? Yeah, it's, it's kind of easy to talk about, right? But it's hard for someone who hasn't gone through it to like kind of 
understand where you're coming from. And I'm, I don't mean to like, like gas you up or let you like, you know, pump, pat yourself on the shoulder or anything like that. But like, what are some other sacrifices you feel like you have made starting in your early 20s up to where you're at now to kind of get to the stage where you are at, right? Just so that kind of put, put your yeah. whole journey into perspective. So, I mean, obviously, like through my entire music career so far, like I worked a full-time job. And sometimes, you know, in the case of some of my more recent gigs, more than a full-time job, I'm working 50, 60 hours a week. And so, like, I would say probably through most of my 20s, and, and, I, and I don't mean to glorify or romanticize this at all, because it's perfectly okay if you don't want this for yourself. I was actively putting in 100 hours a week between all of the things I was trying to do in my day job and working in the nightlife scene and trying to produce uh, music and build my connections. So that sacrifice to me was a lot of time that I didn't spend with my friends. It was a lot of time I didn't spend with my family. I missed, you know, milestones in like my sister's life and things like that. I, you, this is kind of what I talk about. This is what I mean when I talk about like, ask yourself what you actually want, because the reality is there is only so much time in the week and how you divvy that time up really matters. If you're working a 60 hour week, and you are putting 40 hours a week in the studio and you have to sleep six to eight hours a night, all of a sudden you have virtually no time left for friends, family, a, a partner, a pet, you know, taking care of yourself, eating properly, going to the gym, things like that. So for a long time, I, I sort of had to have this understanding in my friend group and even like, you know, past relationships that like, this is the thing that I want and I'm working towards this. This is why I have the job that I have. This is why I go out every weekend. This is why I travel to go to Amsterdam Dance Event, Miami Music Week, when they were doing like EDC Industry Week. There are real sacrifices that you make when you spend that time. So that that's the one half of it. But then the other half that you really spend is when you need to squeeze an extra four, five, six hours out of a week, the easiest place for that to come from is sleep. You just sleep less. So you end up drinking a lot of caffeine. You end up eating the easiest foods that are available. Like when you're on tour, and McDonald's is the only thing in the airport open, you're not getting a salad. You're not counting your macros. You're not doing that. So you see a lot of people on tour that fall into this at this point of like, okay, they're putting on a ton of weight. They're being super unhealthy. They're not drinking enough water. They're not sleeping enough. So like your mental and physical health is something that you have to find this boundary of like, what actual sleep do you need? How do you keep a proper schedule with like your body and your mental health? Because in your 20s, it's really easy to ignore all that stuff because your body kind of just makes up for it. But as you get into your actual music career and you, you start to tour and you start to get into your 30s and 40s and 50s, it's not partying, not drinking, knowing that you've got to take melatonin because you got to go to bed. It's knowing that like, okay, you're going to go hungry because you can't eat cheeseburgers all the time. You've got to wait until you can go to the grocery store and pick up something semi-healthy. It's a lot of that kind of stuff that you're not going to think about early on. And like, if you're not prioritizing your mental health, your physical health, your relationships, your emotional health, all of those things are going to come due later in life. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's a super solid point too, right? Because speaking about being honest with yourself as you kind of work your way through life chasing this dream. I think a lot of producers also fall into the trap of staying out late in their 20s and like being able to bounce up at six o'clock in the morning and eat a eat a cheeseburger for breakfast and hit the studio and then go out that night and et cetera, et cetera. And then they form habits 
yep. in their early to mid twenties. And then all of a sudden they're in their late twenties, early thirties. And all of a sudden they're like, what, what they, these habits are already ingrained in them and they can't ever like break that cycle. Right. Yep. So it's like at, at that, as you transition to like whatever the next chapter in life is, as you keep chasing this over a long, long stretch of time, right? It really, it really behooves you to kind of look in the mirror and be honest and continue to make sacrifices and continue to rearrange uh, your priorities, you know, just trim the fat, let us say. Yeah, I mean, you have to be reactive to your situation. You have to be very in tune with yourself and ask yourself, like, am I happy? And you have to be okay with when you say no, like, no, I'm not happy. You have to be able to ask yourself why. You have to be able to have those difficult conversations with yourself. Because if you don't feel good and you're exhausted and you're not eating well, you're not sleeping well, all of that is going to affect your music. And then it will bleed into other parts of your life. And if you stop being able to pay your bills, if you stop being able to keep a job, now, like, you don't have a music career because you don't have a place to live. You don't have a place to keep your stuff. You don't have like the emotional stability in order to actually sit down and work on something or even the attention span. So like those habits that build up over time are really, really important. And you have to be very intentional with things like that. I believe that like when you're writing music, that's the place where you should be like the least intentional, right? You should just let it come out. Whatever it is in the moment, figure out how it spills onto the canvas. Like in my sense, like I listen to some music and some scales and find some chords and then let whatever happens, happens. And then I play with it from there. But the rest of your life, you have to be very calculated and intentional with. You have to schedule things. You have to make sure you go to the doctor. You got to make sure you see your friends. You got to make sure that you, you know, to be reductive, you go outside and you touch some grass every now and then. Like there's a very real component of this that is human. And if you're not recognizing that piece of the overall puzzle, you're just going to burn yourself out and you're going to resent writing music and then you're just going to be bummed that you never made it. I think the important thing that people should realize is that you have a lot more control over those things than you think you do. It's just very uncomfortable to exert that control because those things feel good. Yeah, one of my one of my old uh, music buddies, he one of my favorite quotes that he ever said, I was watching one of the classes he was teaching or something like that. And he said, to make the best music of your career or of your life or of, of where you're at right now, you have to be the best version of yourself, which yep. means not letting, you know, not, not, not eating Big Macs for, for dinner and, you know, going to the gym and, and meditating and journaling and stuff, right? Because you're totally right. It's like all of that stuff is what's going to cultivate the garden or whatever. And then the crops, the crops are going to almost just fall out naturally just as a byproduct of all of that. Going back once again to this whole idea of time, um, we talked about time management, right? But as you have kind of, you know, gotten older and made your way through a music career and stuff, how has your relationship to time changed? I, I'm not going to lie. Like as, as I sort of move into my mid thirties and I have a lot of producer friends that are doing the same, I hear a lot of conversations around like, what am I doing now to build my future? Because it's very easy in your twenties to just think, oh, I have all I have all the time. I have all this time. Everything else is far away. I can get in the studio tomorrow. I can answer that email next week. I can I can do all this stuff. And as I've gotten a little bit older, what I've found is that there's this sort of creeping sense that I'm running out of time because everybody has this idea that like they're gonna go in their studio and they're gonna write a banger and they're gonna get picked up by Warner Music Group and they're gonna go tour the world and they're just gonna get discovered. When in reality, like it doesn't happen that way. You spend years 
getting yourself to the position where you can even exercise that opportunity. And so I would say like my relationship with time and time management, as I've kind of moved through my career, it's just been come clear to me, like how important it is. And it's forced me to be more strict about like, Hey, I'm sorry. Uh, I can't go out and get drinks with the guys tonight because I have this deadline that I have to hit. I, I can't go and take this vacation uh, over this weekend with my family because I have to do these varying things. And then there's the flip side of that, which is like, okay, I've got to do X amount of work in the next two weeks so that I can go spend like three or four days with my family so that I can just like go to an amusement park with my friends. But I have to be that much more intentional about how I spend my time. I find I have to schedule things much more implicitly because if I don't, I will have promised my Saturday to five different people. And now I have to struggle on a Saturday of like, who do I let down? And so as my career has sort of blossomed a bit and I've started going on tour, I've started releasing on bigger labels and sort of had these more fine deadlines, I find myself going into my calendar and saying like, okay, I have to be in Toronto this weekend. And then the weekend after that, I have to be in California. And then I have to be in Miami for a conference the week after that. So like, what am I going to do in between that to facilitate all those things? I have notification reminders for flights and, you know, booking hotels and when I have to have tracks done by, when I have to have a set finalized by, when I have to do interviews. I found that like physically, physically scheduling things and being able to look at my calendar. And when somebody asks me like, hey, are you free on Saturday? I can go between three and four. Yes. And I can actually understand that, like, I have things that I have to show up for. And if I want to spend my free time, I can. I just have to make sure that I have allotted all of the things that I need to get done, which will allow me to do that. Yeah. And because, I mean, it's, that's a, that's, it's something that's been on my mind a lot because I, I have a newborn in the house. He's like four months old or something, right? And so all of a sudden, it, I have to be much more intentional about when I make stuff, right? Yep. So I, I've been waking up. I'm like your, your buddy who wakes up at five o'clock in the morning to crank out a couple hours in the studio until he starts, you know, the baby starts crying at seven, seven o'clock. And I'm sure that you can relate too. like as, as the older that we get and the, the more strict we have to be with our time, all of a sudden, all those temptations that were so easy to bite at in our early 20s, mid 20s and stuff, all of a sudden, they just have these big red flags, you know, uh, on it for yeah. me right now. Like, you know, Jody Wisternoff is playing at the local club. Do you want to come out? Oh man, that sounds so much fun. I can't, I have to be up at yeah. five. I, if, cause that's, you know, my, all of a sudden my music production time is cut in half because of the baby and stuff like that. And then if I bite at these temptations, all of a sudden that's, it's another three hours in the morning that I've lost. So I've just got to be like, no, don't, or even down to like my cell phone, right? I got to keep my cell phone in the other room yeah. because if I'm on my cell phone in during my hour and a half, two hours a day of music, that's, there's no chance of getting in a flow state or anything. So it's like, yeah. So there's, so there's, there's two points that you kind of made there that I want to touch on real quick. The first being that like, you have this distinction now that like one of the most important things in your life is your kid. And so like that has become a thing for you. And so now you're not going to take time away from like nurturing your child to make sure that like you get this next banger out. So that means that you have to schedule your music time with a lot of like consistency and, and a lot of intention. Because if you don't like kids waking up at seven, and they need to be fed, they need to be changed, they need to be taken care of, and that has to happen. So 
it, that, that kind of comes back to like I was saying, and like we were just talking about the, the scheduling things with intention and knowing that like, yeah, you, you can't go out the night before you have to work on music. You, you're going to lose that time and you're at seven o'clock, you're, you're due no matter what. And then the second thing that you kind of touched on there was that uh, looking at these things and sort of recognizing them for the red flags that they are, one of the big things that like really shifted for me was when I made the decision to pull all social media off of my phone. So my phone is email, calendar events, text messages, maybe some, maybe some Facebook Messenger, but like not spending my time scrolling Reddit, not spending my time on Facebook, not spending my time looking at shorts on TikTok or Instagram or, or YouTube, and, and just realizing that there are all these little micro, like these, these little things, like the 30 seconds here, the 50 seconds there, the, the 10 minutes that add up. And so if you spend five minutes scrolling on Facebook every hour, at the end of the day, you've lost an entire hour. Well, and also, I feel like doom scrolling and scrolling through YouTube and stuff like yeah. that, uh, it, it almost changes your brain's perception of time, even if you're not aware of it. Like, yep. you're so used to being, um, your, your, your dopamine is such on overdrive because you're so used to, like, you know, those, those, fast, those fast hits of dopamine on TikTok or whatever, that all of a sudden your perception of time in the studio is totally changed because now you can only, you, your brain is so used to getting that rapid hit of information that you can't stare at a synth for two hours that you yep. need to dial in the parameters or you don't have the patience to like really lock in that chord progression because you do that for five minutes and you're like, okay, what, what's next? Uh, all right, now let's do the synth. Okay, now what's next? Okay, now let's do this, yep. this kick. Okay, now blah, blah, blah. And like all of a sudden, once again, you're, you're like a hamster, hamster running in a wheel and you don't get anything done because your brain is just craving all of this this instant action only because that's what you you set your brain up to do three hours earlier when you were doom scrolling in bed uh you know hitting the snooze button on your alarm or whatever so something that i uh that i found was quite helpful for me when i was first like becoming an adult in the music production scene space was um you know, a lot of times when you're like, when you're going to the gym, they tell you like, all right, you have to count the calories for everything that you're eating. You have to count your macros, you have to count your micros, like know exactly what you're putting in your body and how much of it, how many calories, how much saturated fat, how much sodium, all of that. There's a version of that that comes to your time. And so there was a week in the very early stages of me, like trying to figure out how to make my music production career work within everything else that I was doing. There was a week where I detailed every minute of every day. And I was like, I spent, I went to bed at this time. I woke up at this time. I went to the bathroom from this time to this time. I, I was in the kitchen doing this. I was on my phone doing this. And I actually just tracked my time like very precisely for a week. And then I looked at all of the time that I was spending just doing things that was just complete waste of time. The doom scrolling, you know, the, the staring at snacks, trying to figure out what I want to eat in the kitchen, like that kind of stuff, right? And don't get me wrong, there's very much time for like self-care, like play a video game for an hour or two to de-stress, to get your mind in a different space, all that kind of stuff. But in the same way that knowing what's going into your body will help you work to be more healthy, knowing where you're spending your time will very much help you figure out how to be more effective at what you do. Yeah, because that's one of those things where, you know, yeah, you spend five minutes looking for a snack and 
or, you know, a couple minutes doom scrolling or whatever. And, you know, think about it in the moment. Uh, and then all of a sudden it does, it adds up to be a lot of time, probably, yep. you know, four hours, five hours a week, which in of itself is a whole session in the studio. That yep. might be the time when you make that next banger that gets picked up by a big label, or that might be the time where you send out that one email that, that might change your career, make that one connection or whatever. Yep. Um, all right. So we have a couple minutes left. Let's just kind of move into some, maybe some quicker advice, maybe some just musings, words of wisdom or whatever. At each chapter of your life, where did you think you invested your time most wisely? And then conversely, the, the worst investments of your time as you progress through the music industry? So in the early stages of my career, the best place I spent my time was in community building. Um, one of the things that I realized about like promoting early on and like getting people to come to my shows as an artist was that people weren't necessarily there to see me as much as they were to like hang out in a space that they wanted to be in. And they were more likely to do that if their friends were there. So I invested a lot of time building like the Denver trans family up so that when people came to see me play in an event with another artist, they knew that they were going to see like 10 or 15 of their friends. And so it was very easy to be like, oh, do I just want to go hang out with my friends at this nightclub? It's a very different question to ask yourself than do I want to go see this guy that like I see once every other month, like actually play music. Investing in a community is almost as important in the early stages as networking in general. Um, so that's where I would feel like I, I spent my time the most wise. Being completely honest, the time where I felt like I wasted the most was just in, in like partying and like, you know, drinking and, and spending all this time being hungover and all this stuff. Like I found that if I were to tally up all the interactions that I could have been more present in because of my place in the nightlife community, like I had access to green rooms, I had access to backstage at festivals. And there was definitely a part of my life where I was like, oh, like, where's the vodka at? I'm just going to go pour myself a drink and then go back out on the dance floor. And I found that there needed to be this really strict balance between like loosening up and sort of getting in the mindset of like networking and being comfortable being around strangers versus like just going out to have a good time. Because there was there were times where I just like needed to go out and cut loose, but not nearly as much time as I actually did that. I would say that like one of the biggest detractors in the nightlife scene, one of the things that I see everyone spend too much of their early career on, and even some people in their late career is, you know, looking at it as like a social thing. You should treat it like a job. You wouldn't go get drunk at the office. You would go, you would go have drinks afterwards and do a happy hour with your coworkers, but nobody's throwing back Jaeger shots at 10 o'clock in the morning. So your 10 o'clock in the morning is 10 o'clock at night. And so if you're at the club and you're trying to network with people, you're trying to meet that headliner, the worst use of your time is being hammered when you have a chance to have a conversation with them. Well, then not only not only trying to meet the the headliner or whatever, but it's like every every interaction you have at the club, right? Especially yep. especially when you're uh, kind of doing the grassroots thing, community building and everything like that. Because, you know, no matter how big of a city you live in, every city is small, uh, especially yep. when it comes to the nightlife community, right? And so, yeah, if you piss off one, you have a bad interaction because you're drunk and you say the wrong thing to a guy or a girl or whatever like that's okay i guess but like you do that one too many times and word gets out and all of a sudden that might cut off a whole swath of potential years yep. down the line right because again yep. this shit takes a long time and people don't forget um, yeah and another and thing so. that you touched on there is like the industry is very small so like don't don't be shysty like show up 
be where you say you're going to be, be there when you say you're going to be there, do what you say you're going to do, and be easy to work with. Just doing those four things will get you further in the nightlife industry than almost anybody else. Because if you're the guy that shows up on time and does his job without ever, without anyone ever having to question you, and then you leave and everybody's just like, wow, that guy did a great job, you're going to get called back. You're going to get asked to come back and do your set again because being easy to work with is like the easiest part of the job, but it's the part that most people don't realize is like one of the most important pieces. Nobody wants to work with an asshole unless they have to. Uh, that's actually funny you you said that because my mom, uh, you know, back back in her heyday before she retired, she was a, like a registered dietitian and she was like on big TV shows and everything like that. And when I was like, mom, I'm going to try to make music a thing and blah, blah, blah. She's like, the number one thing I learned in my career that will get you farther than 80% of the people that are, want the exact same thing as you do is to show up on time and be easy to work with. Yep. <laughs> Literally, that's what you told me that every week, probably. Those are the four rules. And it's like, just do things with intention, be honest. And then you, you have to own your mistakes. Like if you mess up, there's just, just be honest about it, apologize for it and be better. Like, it sounds like really simple, like no nonsense advice, but when you actually get into the industry and I'm sure you've seen this, like it's amazing how many people aren't that way. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think a lot of people kind of get into it either not knowing what they're getting into. And so they have these false conceptions of what, the music industry actually is and they think it's a me industry when it's actually a customer service industry and yeah. so because of it they they show up with egos they show up uh and 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 they play all the wrong cards at all the wrong time well they burn out really quick <laughs> yep so you also touched on something as well about you know wanting to throw shows and then when you're throwing shows it it provides an environment for people to kind of hang out at and it's it was almost like a kind of a clever way to kind of insert yourself into the community and offer a service, right? And it really sounds like, once again, it's using your using your time and getting the most out of that time, right? Because you're kind of, you're, you're fulfilling your nightlife, you're like you're, you're going out and you're hanging out with your own friends, but you're also kind of pushing your own career forward. You're also kind of giving yourself leverage, I would almost assume, because, you know, you were throwing these shows, right? And so other people want to kind of buddy up with you because you're throwing shows, you're moving and shaking and making things happen in the scene. Um, do you have any other advice or any other like tips that have worked for you or whatever on how, how to get the most out of your time? Or once again, working smarter, not harder, kind of killing two birds with one stone, all the other idioms that kind of go along with that? Well, so the first thing that I would suggest is like part of networking in your scene is talking to people and recognizing like who not to work with. And so the first thing you have to do is avoid being the person that people say not to work with. That is surprisingly easy given the, the four tenets that we just talked about. But like, I'd say the most important thing is to know when the thing that you're doing, the work that you're doing, is not serving where you want to go anymore. For me, in the beginning, throwing shows was a great opportunity to, like you said, insert myself in the scene, provide value to a community, and work with larger promoters. Because once I had a fan base that I could monetize, then I could go to this promoter and say, hey, 100 people will show up if you book me. Why don't we come together on this show? I'll do my promoting. And then like, I would just like a better time slot. That's kind of the like, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. I have to have something to offer you before I can ask for anything from you. So that's sort of one of those things that I would talk about. But then beyond that, as now I'm moving into this space where 
uh, I'm starting to tour more, it does not make sense for me to try and throw shows in other markets and to try and spend that time building those connections in another city because it like throwing shows no longer serves the core goal of what I'm trying to get at. In the beginning, throwing shows was a means to getting on lineups and building a community around myself. And those two things happen to just work in tandem with each other. Now, the problem that I'm starting to run into more is like, I can't have the same influence in Toronto as I do in Denver or LA or Miami or any of these other cities because I'm simply not from there. I can't, I haven't spent the 10 years building that catalog of, of shows and, and the community that I've built. So now my focus and my time has to shift to what is congruent with playing in other cities. And in that aspect, it's spending time in this studio, collaborating with other artists, traveling to those cities to meet those promoters, to meet those nightclub owners, to spend time actually doing the things that are in the same vein and moving in that same direction. And so there's sort of this shift that happens as you start to move forward in your career and you have to sort of reassess and ask yourself, what is going in the same direction that I'm going? What things can I do that are working towards those same end? But also, what things am I doing that are working against that? Because now at a certain point, if I'm spending more time throwing shows than I am writing music, I'm never going to get out of my local scene. And for some people, that's fine. It's okay to just want to be the biggest local DJ in your scene. There, maybe there are other things in your life that take priority and you can't travel or you don't want to travel. If you don't want that, that's fine. For me, my whole goal has been travel the world and play music. So there are just times when the things that you're doing will no longer line up with that. And it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, of being honest with yourself, coming and doing things with intention and understanding why you're doing things and if they're making you happy. And if they're not, then you have to reassess. Yeah, uh, that's, I, I totally agree. Because once again, right, like you have to understand that there's a million other people who want this as much as you do. Uh, and, and you know, the longer that you're in this game, right, the longer you're chasing it. Um, everyone says the music industry is like incredibly competitive. And while I kind of agree with that, I also don't so much in the fact that like, as long as you keep with it and keep figuring out what's working and doubling down on what's working and trimming the fat and like kind of cutting out the things that aren't working anymore, the more you're going to progress. And at the same time, for every day you show up and keep doing that, 10 other people who were your competitors yesterday are going to give up. So the yep. longer the longer that you're at it and just keep the longer you're chiseling away at it, the really the less competition there is, right? Why do you think the guys who are at the top of the game, right? Why do they know know everyone at their level, right? Why do they know everyone even two rungs below them? It's because there's not as many people doing this as you expect. There's nope. just a lot of people who are doing it just enough to say they're doing it and then give up nine years when it takes 10 to get it done. I mean, it's important to recognize, like, Tiesto started DJing in high school. He DJed a school dance for his high school in the Netherlands. Armin van Buren was getting a law degree when, when he was discovered. Like, all of these people have been doing this. These people that are at the top of their game have been doing it forever. So the, the biggest competition that you are going to face in this industry is yourself. And, like, there's a really good quote that I like to reference, and we'll kind of leave who said it out of it because it's unfortunately a bit divisive. But the quote is that the only time you should be looking in your neighbor's bowl is to make sure that they have enough. And so this, this idea that like comparison is the thief of joy, just sit down and focus on what you're doing. 
and what you can do better and what you can bring to the table. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't look at where someone else is in comparison to you or think that they're higher up on the ladder. All that's going to do is distract you from what you need to be doing. If you focus on yourself and you keep your head down and you do the work, eventually you're going to end up wherever you're supposed to go. And, you know, as much as everyone says the music industry is, you know, it's all about connections and, you know, the P, the friends you make in the music industry are the ones who are going to get you further. Yeah, that is like kind of the golden ticket, no doubt. But at the end of the day, no one's going to do the work for you. Correct. Right? No, music production is so personal that uh, there's no way you can ride someone's coattails if you haven't done the work. Whatever it is, whether you want to be a big promoter or you want to be a booking agent or you want to be a producer or whatever, like no one's going to do the work for you. You have to do it. And it's a direct reflection of how much time you've put in is what you're what you get out of it. Yeah. And uh, the other argument I would also make is I see a lot of people make this argument. They're like, oh, you're just wherever you are because you know X, Y, you know this person, you know that person, you work for this club, whatever. Getting to know people is the easiest part of the job. So if the only reason that you're not succeeding is because you don't know the right people, then like go out and meet those people. It's, it's not hard. All right, man, we are winding down on time. Uh, I know you have places to be in a few minutes. Um, so to wind it down, do you have anything to plug? Do you have any gigs coming up? Do you have any releases coming up that uh, we can talk about? Any fun life updates that you just want to share? Yeah, so uh, I would say that like for me, the next big thing that I'm doing is uh, I'm playing Dream State SoCal in November. Uh, I'm just coming off the end of the touring schedule that I've been on since February. So most of the gigs that I've played this year are kind of wrapped up and done, uh, which I'm very excited about because I'm enjoying getting back to a schedule and some sleep and not having to be on a plane. Um, so yeah, the next big gig is uh, Dream State SoCal. I've got about four or five different IDs that are done right now that I'm just kind of going through the contracting process with labels and figuring out where they're gonna live. So I'll be playing a lot of unreleased music, which will be nice. Uh, and then hopefully the goal is to come into next year. I'm having a lot of big conversations about you know, gigs and, and remix opportunities that I'm going to get and labels that want me to release on stuff. So I would say just, you know, keep eyes pinned on the socials because uh, I'm probably three to six months from announcing a lot of uh, really like groundbreaking stuff for my career. So that's pretty much it. Well, awesome. I'll give you a preemptive uh, congratulations and uh, just keep us in the loop, man. We'd love to hear what more is going on. But yeah, in closing, thanks for being on episode one of Magnetic Meanings, the new podcast talking about the words and music and the world they create together. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to the very first episode of Magnetic Meetings Podcast. Pardon me if it's a little bit rough around the edges. Give me a few more episodes to really fine-tune some of these details that are making it seem a little rough around the edges. Now that the recording and editing process is done for the podcast, I'm going to get to work kind of reflecting on everything that Adam has said over the past hour or so and putting those ideas into writing. That article will be up on magneticmag.com and a link to it will be in the show notes down below. If you're looking to add even more context and a deeper meaning into time and how it affects the music industry, definitely head over to the website where you can find that along with a whole bunch of other awesome articles that we've been working on over the past few months. And finally, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this week's episode, Point Blank Music School, who just opened up a spiffy, shiny new music production, DJing and audio engineering campus in L.A. So if you're looking to elevate your music production or any of the other skill sets and trade skills I just mentioned, 
definitely head to the link in the show notes. And Point Blank will set you up to help elevate your skills and carve out a niche all of your own in the music industry.